At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. You're listening to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast with Karen McMahon. We invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience. Heal your heart while refining your character and enable you to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. Well, and I think that that was the hardest part is that my husband was and still is just a, a dear person. And he's got such a big heart and he's such, uh, you know, he's he's just a sweet, sweet guy and always was. Didn't didn't treat me poorly, but couldn't literally step up into the relationship the way that I needed to really have a partner and a co-parent and all that other stuff just kind of continuously fell short. Um, and and, you know, in a way that just kind of didn't, I didn't feel like I was honoring myself. It's like, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel like, I, and at some point I got to, I deserve better. Welcome to Voices of Celebration. This series is designed to inspire and encourage you as we share real life experiences of former Journey Beyond Divorce clients who invested in their personal growth through divorce and emerged a better version of themselves with a more rewarding post-divorce life. Tonight I have uh, my dear friend and JBD coach, Diane Dempster with me. Welcome, Diane. Hi, Karen. I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a little different. I'm not, I'm not going to wear my coach hat for the whole conversation. I'm going to wear my client hat. It'll be a little bit different. Exactly. So Diane and I met years ago and have become dear friends and are now working together. But when we first met, um, Diane, uh, tell our listeners what it is that um, that drove you to reach out for support. Well, I, I guess I should tell a little bit of backstory because there's a little bit, <laughs> there's a little bit of history that can be helpful. So um, I let's see. The beginning of the story is that I realized on my second date with my husband that he had a difficult relationship with alcohol, and from that moment um, through our marriage, and we were married for well over twenty years, um, I, he struggled. I struggled. And we were in and out of therapy and, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to help him to get to a place where we had a relationship that was effective and he was able to, you know, to participate. And, and this was even long before we had kids. And, and then when we had kids, things got even more complicated. And um, part of the story is that in 2008, before I even met Karen or um, became a, a went through coach training myself, which is part of the story. I am um, my son, my um, oldest, was diagnosed with ADHD, and 
part of my process of learning how to help him and support him as a parent was uncovering the fact that what had really been going on with my husband underneath everything else was that he was an adult with unmanaged ADHD. Mm. And that was part of why he was using alcohol was to help him to manage the ups and downs that come along with an ADHD brain. And I went to, I remember really distinctly, I went to this conference in 2010, about the same time that I went through coach training and sat in a workshop. Um, I was there to learn stuff about my kid, right? But I was like, okay, I'm going to go to one workshop um, to try to figure out this whole thing with my husband. And I, I mean, I, I remember walking out of the workshop, just sobbing. And thinking, oh my gosh, here I am, like, I'm, like, all this time, what's been really going on for my husband has been the same thing that's been going on with my kid. It's like this sort of, he can't get his brain to do what he wants it to do, but he doesn't know how to get it to do what he wants to do. I mean, it's like this sort of backwards sort of thing. And so I had this epiphany that is like, oh my gosh, if I could help him see that what's really going on is about his brain and not about him, it, it shifted everything for me. And I was like, okay this is, this would be great. I could help him figure it out. We could reconnect. We could create a partnership. I can, you know, I, I can trust him in a different way. And, you know, over the next, you know, period of time, I started shifting from, oh my gosh, I can't be in a relationship with this person. Do I, and I spent a lot of time up and down. Do I want to be in? Do I want to be out? And I think Karen, when I reached out to you is about that time where, I, I had this epiphany and I wanted to be able to help him in a different way and to be able to show compassion and understanding for this adult with unmanaged ADHD. And he wasn't able to, he wasn't able to meet me with that. And I once again through, went through another cycle of, do I stay or do I go? Yep. <laughs> and at the time, um, reached out to you because I, I wanted somebody who spoke my language as a, as a coach, because I knew that part of what I was working really hard on was creating effective communication with them, creating a, you know, a, an environment for my kids that felt good. And so I reached out to JBD because I wanted to, I wanted to, if I was going to leave my marriage, I wanted to do it from a place of authenticity. I wanted to do from a place of strength. And I knew, I don't know if I figured this would tell me, Karen, because you worked with me first. It's like, I knew at some point that I wanted to be working, walking towards something right. instead of away from something. It, it was like this sort of, I have this huge loyalty gene. I don't know yeah. if a lot of the audience is like this, but it's like this sort of, I knew that I could fix it. I knew that I could make it work. If I'd stand on my head and cross my eyes and dot my T's, I mean, I was, I grew up believing that you can do anything. I was like fortunate to be raised by parents who taught you that you can do anything. And I learned the hard way that the thing you cannot do is change somebody else. And so spent a lot of time mourning that and working through that. But ultimately why I came to JBD was to really help me work through, how do I stop wrestling with this whole idea of do I stay or do I not stay? How do I get... To, I didn't, I didn't want to keep asking. I didn't want to spend another five years of my marriage wondering whether I should be in my marriage or not, because I'd been doing that since the second date uh, with my husband, um, just kind of in that sort of looking over your shoulder and wondering whether it was the best choice or not. You know, and I remember that you were so heart-centered, like you really had such a soft heart for your husband and the struggles that were clear to you and all of your coaching background and understanding how the brain works. And yet there was still that 
kind of twisting yourself into a pretzel, hoping that if you just did something different, that that lane would open up and you would, you would be able to mend things with him. Well, and I think that that was the hardest part is that my husband was and still is just a a dear person. And he's got such a big heart and he's such, uh, you know, he's, he's just a sweet, sweet guy and always was, didn't, didn't treat me poorly, but couldn't literally step up into the relationship the way that I needed to really have a partner and a co-parent and all that other stuff just kind of continuously fell short. Um, and, and, you know, in a way that just kind of didn't, I didn't feel like I was honoring myself. It's like, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel like I, and at some point I got to, I deserve better. Right. And I think that that, that was the hardest thing for me to get to was, well, this is the marriage I've been dealt and he's such a good man. And can I live with, can I live with a kind of remember you saying this to me, Karen, it's like, you're getting crumbs and you deserve more than you need. The, you deserve the buffet and you're getting crumbs. And, and it was this sort of, how do you get to a point where you, you can say, I, I'm going to ask for the buffet as many times as I can. And then I'm going to figure out that this person literally is just not available to give me the buffet, not because he doesn't want to, he wanted to, he just didn't have the ability to do it. Right. And, you know, something that I think is really uh, unique in your case and uh, had an impact was your ability to not connect your husband's challenges with like heavy judgment. Like you mm-hmm. seem to have that, that, that soft heart again, that you, you were able to articulate the challenges, but what didn't come with it was that emotional angst that's so attached to judgment. So I would say it hasn't always been that way. Yeah. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that a lot of that happened even after we got divorced. Um, and um, I think that it's, it's hard to, you know, be in a relationship with someone where you're like asking for something and asking for something. And they're like, sure, sure, sure. I really want to do that for you. And then just, it doesn't happen. It's hard not to judge that. It's hard not to say, well, dude, you just said that you wanted to do this and you're not doing it. So practically there's something wrong here. Either you're lying to me or you're, you know, you're not trying hard enough or, or what, what is it? And I think that, that, um, for me, and this is what I work with, I work with parents who have kids with ADHD as part of my coaching practice, but it, part of this is just kind of looking and saying, if I look at him and go, okay, why aren't you doing this? Why can't you just fill in the blank, whatever it was? Why why can't you remember to take care of this? Or why can't you, you know, stop drinking because you don't want to drink and you, you but you're still drinking or how, why don't you, whatever that fill in the blank, right? Um, I got to a space where I could say, I'm going to assume best intention from this person. Mm. And I really try to kind of have this mindset with all my relationships because I think people, people want to do well and they do as well as they can. And if I sit there and say, well, he's not trying hard enough or he doesn't want it, you know, if he wanted to, he would do better. I'm going to, I'm going to look with judgment. I'm going to be frustrated all the time and I'm going to be resentful all the time and all this other stuff. But if I kind of say, well, this person, I want to assume this person is doing the best that they can. My energy towards them shifts. Right. Because it's it's not a ultimately it's not about them it's about you right it's about how you feel on a day to day basis it's about how solid you feel in the relationship um, and if you make it about them and how they're behaving instead of about you and how you feel in the relationship 
it changes the whole dynamic. You know, it's interesting because I think if I remember correctly, one of the challenges that you had was more about your self-judgment, about being the bad guy, about making, like you had this really interesting journey because you just didn't want to be disloyal, um, to be be the bad guy in any way. Yeah. Well, I think it was two, there's twofold part of it. And there's a couple of gremlins in there. One is the sort of he is, he, he is, was, always has been this sweet, sweet guy. And it's like this sort of, it kind of broke my heart that we couldn't find a way to make it work. And so that was part of it. And so I didn't want to be the bad guy because I could see that he was struggling. He was very dependent on me, um, financially, practically kind of all this other stuff at the time. And, um, and the other piece of it was my relationship with failure, right? It's just sort of, And I talk about this with my clients all the time about growth mindset. I mean, it's like I grew up in an environment where like failure is not an option. And with this mindset of you can do anything, right? And so this sort of those two things combined were get got me into this sort of work harder, try harder, do better, take all the responsibility and try to make it work. And two things. One is back to my comment earlier about not being able to change other people. But then the other piece of it is that it changed the energy of the relationship. Mm. And so I was the one doing everything. And part of it was because he was using and he wasn't able to do. Um, And part of it was just that we kind of ended up in this sort of unbalanced relationship. And this happens a lot with um, in couples where one spouse is ADHD, whether it's the the guy or or the woman, or if you've got two women partners, whatever. But it's the one, the one, co-parent ends up moving into an adult role and it's because the 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 person with ADHD has a hard time getting their brain to do what they want it to do and so then the other partner ends up accommodating and the way most of us accommodate is to control right it's a sort of you you know instead of letting you fail I'm going to make sure you've got every I dotted and T crossed so that you don't fail so that you don't fail me right? It's that sort of, I'm going to jump in with more control. And when you're in a relationship and you jump in with more control, it it changes the energy of the relationship. I'm sure confident that he felt disempowered. He felt judged. He felt like a failure. He felt like he, and I have heard him say this. It's like, I never felt like I could please you. I I could Mm -hmm. never do enough. And it was mostly because I was, I was so overwhelmed. And I think this is the other layer that we, we, we can talk about if you want, Karen, but when we get overwhelmed or stressed out or whatever it is, we go to different control mechanisms or different coping mechanisms. Let me say it that way. Some of us are pleasers and some of us are avoiders and some of us are distractors and I'm a controller, right? When I get stressed up, it's stressed out. It's like, okay, we're doing this. We're doing that. We're making this happen, you know? And, and I did that. I did that for years in my marriage. I was laughing the other day. I was watching a Christmas video of my kids when they were like four and five years old and I'm listening to my voice and I'm like, who is that woman who's just like freaking out and <laughs> needing to control everything? And it, and it was me totally stressed out and needing to control and shifting the dynamic in our marriage and making it worse and not better. Um, and making it so that, you know, he's like, well, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he even knew how to make it better for me. I think he got to that point. Calming the chaos of divorce begins with quieting your mind and getting clear on what you want and how to get it. 
That's why we created the Divorce Survival Kit. It's an easy to digest guide with five essential tips that help transform your suffering into valuable insights and your confusion into effective action. So go to DivorceRecoveryLifeline.com and grab your Divorce Survival Kit today. Yeah, yeah. And and for you, you're such a, between your capability and you being a doer, that was part of the challenge was that you knew you could do so much. Even as you headed toward divorce, it was like you could shoulder the finances and do all this stuff for your kids. And yet that honoring what you wanted how did that how did that play out for you like what what were some of the shifts that you remember experiencing as you came to the conclusion that that i i deserve better i'm going to go through with this um i'm going to yeah no and i think that it, there was a big step i think i don't even know i think that i deserve better might have even come like after the whole thing but what what really got me to a place where I felt comfortable with a decision that I, that I couldn't work any harder and I couldn't, I couldn't do it and I couldn't do it by myself and I couldn't, and, and the marriage had become so broken that I couldn't help him to do it anymore. Um, And it was, it was about the role model I was creating for my kids. Mm. You know, at the time, trying to remember how my kids were like nine or 10. I have a stepson who's like in his, his twenties. And, um, I think my stepson particularly, there's a lot of conflict in the house and, and it was hard. It was hard for him. It was hard for the younger kids. Um, even before their dad got sober. So their dad got sober probably two or three years before we got, we separated. And, um, it, it was, it was this shift of, I don't want my kids to see this as a role model marriage. I want to, I was thinking about kind of what my parents' marriage was like. And I grew up in one of those sort of, you know, Pollyanna Midwestern families. <laughs> my mom didn't wear pearls, but she might as well have been. Um, but it, it was, we had, my both, my parents adored each other. They respected each other and they're both kind of funny and quirky. And, um, but they just, you know, they were long committed to each other. And so it was hard for me. That was part of where my loyalty gene came from, I'm sure, was that that role model. And when I finally went, what, what are my kids seeing as healthy relationships? And is this, is this actually a healthy relationship that I want them to see? Or is there a better relationship? And I think that that's, that's kind of the transition to where I am now, which I started, my, my mantra became, I have a healthy and loving relationship with the father of my kids. And I remember saying that to myself over and over and over and over again. That's what I wanted. That's what I claimed for myself. I didn't claim a healthy marriage. I didn't claim that we would stay together. I just started saying, I want to have a loving and positive relationship with the father of my kids. Because I knew that that's what they needed. They need to have two parents that care. We did care about each other. That wasn't a question, but that the caring piece of it needed to be the front part and not all the drama and the conflict that just was broken and not working. And and you did such an amazing, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about your post-divorce um, relationship with your with your ex, but you did such an amazing job of 
um, working through the grief and the emotion and the struggle and the frustration so that the beautiful relationship, the kind man that you love could be front and center. And that, that's, you know, people could be listening and going, oh, well, I wish I had that situation, but you did a tremendous amount of hard work to get there. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's the piece of it is it's the grieving piece of it and it's the relationship piece of it. And I think that that's, I think that that's the piece of it is that I separated the two, right? So the relationship with my ex was a whole different goal than being in a relationship, being in marriage, right? It's just sort of, I had to redefine the relationship and figure out how to be in relationship with this person. We were going to co-parent, whether we were living in the same house, whether we were married, you know, whatever it was. I, I mean, I had kids with this, this person and needed to figure out how to have that healthy relationship. But it was about um, grieving and being able to let go of my role in the whole process and being able to forgive myself for not making the marriage work. Um, there was a lot of that. That was, there was a lot of shame and everything else about not doing it. And I think that there was a part of me that needed to feel like I had done, I had done everything I could. Right. And it's, and it's really kind of funny because part of our story is the last couples counseling we did was with, his minister at the time we were going to different churches and I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm giving the hail Mary here. And so <laughs> I was like, I called his minister who I actually knew and said, I would love to have you do couples therapy with us. Will you please? And the three of us sat down and I'm like, okay, so this is somebody that he trusts that I trust. And I had no idea how it was going to go, but it ended up being at some point in the process you know, this person who I respected, who knew us both, who was a spiritual leader in in our community, kind of looked at me and said, Diane, you've done everything. I want to tell you that there's no one could judge you for not having done everything you possibly could to make this work. And you need to give yourself permission to say that that's true. And I think that that was part of it is that the small me needed to feel like I'd done everything I could. Um, In some way, he absolved you. of. He absolved me. And I'm like, I'm not a big, like, sort of, Evolution kind of person and there was something about and I wish now like how many years how many years out am I is this 10 years out I don't even know close to 10 years out I wish that I had been able to give myself that absolution and I'm I'm an overachiever I'm the kind of person that like couldn't take no for an answer got to make this work got to make this happen but it was somebody else saying sweetie you're okay you've worked really hard and it's it's time to say you've done enough And I think that's such a good um, message for people who are listening in, especially those of you who are still on the should I stay or should I go? Because I think that the the, the I failed is a big thing. Uh, The guilt and shame about I'm destroying my children is a big thing. You know, the... um, why do I need more? Can't this be enough? Like there's all these, these head games that we play with ourselves because it's such an enormous decision. And when there are children involved, it feels like there's gotta be a way for me to make this work. And at the end of the day, you do what you can. But I was just reading a, someone posted, it takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. And and so even the, and what's interesting is, is your ex um, 
you're describing as such a kind man that it wasn't that he didn't want to, um, that his ability, where his ability stopped and where what you deserved was this big, there was a big space between those two things. And I think that was one of the really hard things. Well, and I think that that's the piece of it is whether it was perceived ability or actual ability. And I think that that's the piece of it is like, I I know that there are people out there who have a a co-parent who has ADHD or who is using alcohol. And I'm certainly not kind of excusing, you know, kind of like not being able to step up and saying, well, okay, you've got ADHD. You can't step up or, oh, wow, you're, you're, you know, you're using alcohol. You can't step up. It's really about the fact that he didn't even, he did not believe in himself and his ability to do anything more than he was doing. And that's, that's where the wall was, you know, and it was just, it was hard. And I wanted to hold him accountable for continuing to try something. And I think that that's the distinction is it's sort of like, it's not about fixing it. It's about continuing to be in the game and to work on it. And I think that that's, that's an important distinction. Um, A lot of times we reach a point either because the relationship is so broken or we're so broken that our ability to really continue to work the and and relationships are work I mean it's 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 not even the best relationships are work and balancing and and figuring it out um and when you're exhausted or if your partner is just kind of in this space where it's like I literally can't do anything more or different or thinks they can't literally do any more or different than they are you're kind of at a stalemate and it's hard yeah you know when you um when you look back, what would you say are one or two of the biggest shifts that you felt you made through the the struggle of um, the decision and then going through the divorce? Well, I think the 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 first thing, and, and I'll, I don't know if I'm going to quote you or not, but because you were my coach at the time, but it's this sort of, and I and I remember saying this recently to one of my divorce coach coaches. It's like this sort of. Until you know you're ready, you're not ready. <laughs> and and when you are ready, you'll know it. And I think that that's the piece of it is like, I had spent so much time going, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And, and just kind of ringering, you know, like hands in the ringer sort of, you know, I was so out of the moment. I was like, spending all this time thinking about all this stuff that had happened and catastrophizing about all this stuff that might happen that I wasn't, I wasn't even present in the marriage anymore. I was somewhere, I was somewhere else completely. Um, And so I think that that sort of giving myself permission to just be where I was. Yes. And um, so that was part of it is kind of like, okay, you're in a place of uncertainty and it's okay to be in in a place of uncertainty. And right now you're in a marriage and that's, that's fine. And you need to just figure out how to, take the steps to be where you are and do what you need to do to kind of be in your life. Um, I think that the other shift I would highlight is um, kind of getting to this space of assuming best intention. And I think that there's a part of this, I don't know if I said this earlier, but it's a sort of every time I looked at my, um, my, my ex, my husband, I would, I noticed myself noticing all the bad stuff right? It's this sort of, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And it's like, you develop the list of all the, the, the faults, all the failures, so the the checklist and everything else. And, and I, I, 
in the process, and I'm not sure if it was you or me, but it was, I got this challenge to really focus on the good stuff, right? And, it, and brain science, what you focus on grows, right? And so if you focus on the good stuff, you're going to see more good stuff. If you focus on the bad stuff, you're going to see more bad stuff. And so I knew that, and I learned that in coaching. And so part of the shift was, okay, so focus on the good stuff, focus on the good stuff, be grateful for the good stuff. And by doing that, I was able to see him in a very different light because I could, again, it's just sort of walking towards something instead of a waste from something. I really knew very clearly what his strengths were and what he did really well and could say, you know what? And, and that's not, that's not enough. That's not, even, even with all the good stuff, it's, it's okay that it's just not working without, even with the good stuff. And I think that's the hard thing to come to, you know, and especially with your loyalty. Like I remember you wrangling between how can I be this loyal person where that's such a central value of mine and then walk away from my marriage. Like that was something that you really had to reconcile with. Well, especially, and I think this is the thing, and some of you may be struggling with the same thing. I, I know enough about alcoholism and I know enough about um, mental health and he, you know, I, I would say that there are probably more than he had moments of depression. He had moments of anxiety, all of these sorts of things. And when you're dealing with someone with mental health issues or with alcoholism or drug use or whatever it is, there's, there's this sense of, of compassion and this sense of, you know, they're, they're struggling. It's like, almost like I couldn't, and, and this is going to sound awkward, but it's like this sort of, I could never leave my husband if he was paralyzed, right? It's a sort of, you, you know, you, it's like, would you, you know, how could you possibly walk away from someone who's in this, in the hospital or in, you know, some kind of traumatic sort of situation. And I had that same sort of thing with his alcoholism and his ADHD, where it's like the sort of this human that I love and I care about is struggling. How can I possibly leave him? And I, I, I think he would say part of what in his path made his life different was that we did separate and he had to figure it out on his own and he had to figure out who he was and claim what's important to him and let go of the stuff that wasn't important to him and all that sort of stuff that you can only do when you exit an unhealthy relationship. So, so as we begin to get toward, and I want to ask you about your relationship now, but before we get to that, uh, what do you remember one or two of your greatest fears being um, going through divorce? Well, my I fear of failure, absolutely, right? It's just sort of, I could not admit that, you know, it's like, of course, if I got a divorce, it was my fault, right? It's right. just sort of, because if, if if I had done my job, I wouldn't have, you know, failed at a at a marriage. And I think that that's, that's part of my personality. And I think a lot of us are like that. It's just sort of super responsible and, you know, it, it's all my, it's all my fault, that sort of thing. Um, I think that, that part of my fear um, has to do with my kids um, because, you know, it, there was, there was a level of conflict um, that made it uncomfortable to be in the house. And I think that, um, I worked really hard to try to manage through that. And yet I was, I, I was aware of the fact that the conflict was unhealthy for me. It was unhealthy for him. And, and frankly, it was unhealthy for my kids too. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't violence. It was just 
yelling and loud voices and disagreements and and that sort of stuff that um i don't think i we we never were able to resolve the conflict and so we stayed in argument right it's this sort of and i talk to clients about this all the time there's two pieces of it one is resolving the conflict and two is ending the argument. And so we would argue and argue and argue, and then we would stop arguing because we'd both be like, we shouldn't yell, we shouldn't this, da, da, da. We, at some point we would get conscious enough to go, this is not healthy, let's stop, or we'd make up or we'd whatever it is, but we never were able to resolve the conflict. And I think a lot of that was just where we were at the time and where he was at the time. Um, but my fear was always for my kids that that, honestly, that the that's part of what helped me to move past the relationship was that somehow being exposed to that level of conflict would just, it would make it hard for them to effectively manage conflict. And it's the amazing thing is that both my kids are 19 and 21. Now it's like, they, I have the best conflicts with them because they have complete appreciation for when somebody gets triggered, we can hear each other really well. I mean, they, they fight really well. They're, they're, they're pros at it, you know, but it's because again, it's just sort of because we've worked at it since, you know, their dad's been out of the house. It's like this sort of, how do you have healthy conflict? How do you resolve the conflict instead of just having a fight? And to that last point, I think that one of the values when you're, when you get divorced, it's like in your household, you can, you can help with those things. You can bring all all of your strengths to bear regardless of what's happening in the other household. And so that fear that if I get divorced, I'm breaking the kids, um, actually conflict is so much more damaging than divorce in a healthy household. And you have just such a beautiful post-divorce story. Um, and you know, we deal so much in, in really high conflict. And so could you share, um, how it unfolded over the last 10 years for you? I mean, I know there were struggles, there were financial struggles and what have you, but your relationship with your ex and your relationship with your kids and where you are now is really something pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, and it didn't happen overnight. And I think that, you know, it, it, the reality is that that someone once told me that there's the emotional divorce and then there's the practical divorce. And if you're the one who initiates the divorce, then you start the process before the other person does. And so I was emotionally divorcing my husband for years and years and years before I actually said, you know what, or he said, you know, or whatever the kind of impetus is, it's a longer story about kind of how it ended. But there was a point at which I I had already worked up to a point emotionally where I was saying, okay, this is okay. And he had to catch up because it was like this sort of all of a sudden, oh, wait, you want to not be in relationship with me. This is, this is not okay. This isn't in line with my values. And he went for a couple of years of being really, really angry with me. And, and that's a pretty normal sort of thing. And I worked hard to be able to be present with his anger, you know, and I think that that's the thing because he had a right to be angry. And I, you know, it's like this sort of, this is a human being that I was in relationship with and married to for years. And I could say, okay, we're done. Or I can say, you know, this is someone that I've cared about. He didn't have a lot of other people in his life he could go to. He didn't have, you know, people that he could count on. And I think, quite frankly, he probably would have, like, complained to my kids a lot more than, they, than he might have in a healthy way. But he spent some time really being angry with us, with me. And then, and I just kind of stayed present. Yeah. 
and, and went back to my mantra of, I have a loving and fun relationship with the father of my kids. And loving I, relationship I, with the father of my kids. I think that what's so important there is you were grieving for like the grieving process. Like that's for the person who is thinking about leaving and wants to leave and not sure. Like there's all of that processing going on for weeks, months, years. And so I just had a conversation with someone this morning and I was saying the same thing to them. Your spouse just heard the news. Yeah he's not being manipulative. He's actually just, he's a hot mess because he's in the grieving process. And you completely honored that, which is, is amazing. Yeah. Well, and I think then the other piece of it was because I was committed to having a relationship with this person, I figured out how to have a relationship with them. And I remember really distinctly, I don't even remember. Um, I think we all go through this when we're young adults or you know, in our twenties or thirties, where we look at our parents and we go, would we be friends with these people? (laughs) (laughs) If they weren't our family, would we choose to spend time with them? And, um, And then you figure out kind of how to, how to have a different kind of relationship with them. And I think that I modeled that with them, with him, which is the sort of this is a person that I need to have a relationship with. And how do I figure out how to have that relationship and respect him for who he is and stay true to myself and authentic to myself. So we ended up kind of, and I, and again, he's a sweet guy and I wanted to, you know, continue to honor the fact that he's just a sweet guy and we had kids together and we needed to co-parent and everything else. And I think that it was, okay, so how do I just, enjoy the parts of this person that I can enjoy. And moving out made all the difference in the world because I could create this different boundary. It's kind of like, okay, so he's in my house and he's making me freaking crazy, but I can, I can handle it for an hour because I know he's going to leave. It's kind of like with your in-laws, right? So you go for Thanksgiving weekend, they make you a little bit crazy, but you get to go home or you have a couple glasses of wine and you get through Thanksgiving dinner. And, um, it was the same sort of thing where it's like all of a sudden, because I was committed to staying in relationship with him, because I was focusing on the part of him that I liked, because I had compassion for the fact that this is this is a person who's struggling with adult ADHD and just doesn't know how to get to his brain to do what he wants it to do and is a little bit quirky. Um, it enabled me to just kind of see him as a human that I could have some relationship with because I was committed to having a relationship. And so... And we were each other's person for a long time. We were actually honestly separated for seven years before the legal piece of it happened. And again, that's a longer story. And, um, but we weren't together and, and yet we were each other's person. So if I had an emergency, had an emergency, we, we took care of each other. It's part of what we did, but we did it from a separated kind of place. We, it was kind of one of those sort of mommy and daddy can't live together, but they can get along and that's okay. And we just figured out how to get along. And it took him a while to get to the place that I was at. Um, and we got there, you know, and now I would say, you know, it's like when we had, we have family dinners, it's, you know, it's my ex and my stepson and my kids and my partner and, you know, my, in you know, it's just like everybody's kind of together and you, you figure out how to have a relationship. And that's, that actually is one of the things I love is that my boyfriend now, I, my partner and my ex get along, you know, it's like, I came out one morning and 
I'm like, where's Brian? And he's like out in the driveway talking to my ex. They've been out there for like an hour. And the two of them kind of have this collaborative, you know, fun relationship. I mean, they're not best friends, but they like each other and they, they're both good guys and they figured it all out. Yeah, it's, you do, you have just a really beautiful um, post-divorce experience and it doesn't happen. It's something that someone has to work really hard at. And, uh, and you've really honored your values throughout the process. And it's interesting because you did have this enormously long separation and it really speaks to the fact that there's no correct way. It's like if we could all honor who we are and go through that process in a way that is, un- is authentic for us, um, that's all that really matters. Well, and if I'm honest, and, and this might be helpful to other people that are listening, I, I didn't stay married because I wanted to be married or that I thought we were going to reconcile. I mean, I knew very clearly when he moved out that I was that the marriage was done and that we weren't going to get back together. But there were practical reasons. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, his ability to um, to participate. I mean, I, we, when you get divorced from somebody, they've got to be willing to go through the paperwork and the rigmarole and the everything else. And I mean, he was, he was struggling and he was having such a hard time with the process. I had to wait for him to get kind of caught up for that. And, um, and there were financial reasons and all that sort of thing. And so I think that the the bottom line in what you just said is that, you know, there's not a right answer. And, and I would say for myself, I was very happy um, being separated and very committed to being single but not be, you know, it's like this sort of thing. And everybody's got to figure out what's right for them. I mean, and and I think the other piece of it is that if I'd been ready to start dating and I wasn't, it took me seven years to get to a point where I was ready to start dating. Once that happened, then it was like, okay, you know what? I got to take care of this. This is (laughs) Let's get this done. It's like, I got to check the box and move on. It's, you know, it's just kind of, kind of funny. And, you know, it's, it's hard to explain to someone why you're, why you were married seven years after you know, after you had okay. ended your marriage? Okay. Um, but it's it's what I did, and and it and I don't want to make it right or wrong. It's just kind of what I needed to do to stay sane. It's what my ex needed to do. It it felt good. It made us a different kind of family than I think we would have been. Um, yeah, and I think that it was like that sort of going back to the the aha moment about being able to stay in the moment, and it's this sort of. I just stayed and it was like, I waited until it felt like the right time to go through the process of signing the paperwork and it, and it didn't for a long time. And so it was okay. Beautiful. What last uh, words, tips, advice do you have for our listeners before we wrap up? Well, and it's funny because it's like, I know that this, we, I've, I've got a little bit of a Pollyanna story and I don't want to, I don't want to exaggerate that, but I do want to highlight the the work that I did because it was something that I was committed to doing. Um, and that's just part of my DNA and part of that sort of, I'm going to make it work. It's just sort of, I'm going to even have a, I'm even going to have a great divorce. <laughs> the marriage was kind of stinky for a while, but I had a great divorce. Um, but I think the parting words are, um, figure out figure out what you want and not what you don't want and my heart for everybody is that you get a it get to a point like i did where you're walking towards something 
instead of away from something. Because the minute we walk away from something, I believe that, that there's lessons in everything. And if you're like, oh no, I can't handle this. I can't handle this lesson. This is terrible. There's some probability you're going to track the lesson again. Because I think that the universe says, okay, come on, Diane, you got to figure this part out. Um, and if you're walking towards something, if you say, this is, I want a better life for me. I want a better role model for my kids. I want to feel like I'm standing in my power as an adult. If I, you know, whatever it is that you're walking towards, focus on that rather than, uh, look at all this crap going on in my marriage, because it'll help you to get to a place where it feels more like you're empowered and not there's more power in that and less kind of victim or frustration in that. And what you said earlier, which is um, what you focus on grows. And so if you're focusing on a healthier, better future versus the struggle of the past, it's, it's going to, it's going to blossom in front of you. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing to say to everybody is that took me 20 years to do this, right? It's this sort of thing of it. You know, it's like I spent 10 years trying to get ready to, to divorce. And then I spent 10 years doing the work post, you know, separation and everything else to, to get to a healthy relationship. And I'm committed to doing that, you know, and that's just me. Yeah. And, and as we wrap up, I just want to mention our 12 step program, which is that is the emotional divorce. The 12-step program isn't, someone asked me today, um, I'm post-divorce, so is this even good for me? But they were very stuck. And so the bottom line is, if you're struggling, uh, uh, Diane mentioned grieving. She mentioned uh, being uh, solution-oriented. She mentioned staying present. Everything that we created in this 12-step program is about helping you through all of the emotional obstacles that the vast majority of us go through, or most of us go through most of them. And what, whether you are thinking about divorce in the middle of it or post-divorce, if you're emotionally struggling, if you're stuck, uh, this 12-step program is really meant to help you break those chains um, and and focus on the good and move forward. And so, if you're you've been thinking about it, and if Diane's story really um, is encouraging to you, jump on, sign up for it. You will be really glad that you did, and we're going to be there to support you throughout it. Well, and here's the other thing I would say, Karen. This is about focusing on you, right? It's this sort of you're in this situation where we can't control the other person. We can't control the person we're in the marriage with. We can't, honestly, we can't control our kids either as much as we'd like. And so this is about the work for you. This is about figuring out what you really want to do or what feels authentic or empowering for you. And really kind of, I think that's one of the things I love about the 12-step program is that it brings the energy and the focus towards you. And the cool thing is you can control you. You can't control your ex or your soon-to-be ex or your your husband or your wife or whatever it is. You can't control that other person, but you can control yourself. And so that hoping that helps you to feel a little bit better. And there's an opportunity in that because this stuff is not easy, but it, it can feel easier. Yeah. Well put. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and and us and spending this time tonight with us. Awesome. It was fun. And we will see you again uh, next week. So have a good evening and thanks for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. 
I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.